the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Weekly Manchester United Show. Your host is always Phil Brown and of course join me on a regular co-host of the magnificent Marvin Wall. We're going to have to say it is absolutely brilliant to be back recording with my good mate here, Martin, and back doing United Show. Perhaps football on the horizon. I know everyone's got mixed feelings about whether we should be back or not um, and playing football, but in terms of doing this show, it's great to be back. And I'm great that all of you, delighted all of you are out there doing well and safe uh, and everyone is okay. And let me welcome my fantastic co-host back here, Martin. How you doing, mate? Hey, mate. How are you? I'm in the beautiful city of Mesquite, Nevada. Uh, just about yeah. an hour outside of Las Vegas. Came for just a little getaway here. Um, to ride some ride some quads and some bikes and play some golf. About Glad the you said quads, I mean. About the only things we can do in these times right now. But, yeah, no, other than that, it's nice to, it's nice to get out of the same four walls. Yes, um, but yeah, you know, it's football on the horizon. Obviously, second week of, of Bundesliga stuff was yeah. was definitely a, definitely better than the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, w- w- whether that was just because we we kind of knew what to expect or not, but uh, you know, uh, at least there was some football to watch. Yep. On today's show, folks, we will be joined with Neil Costas from the Sun, who'll join us for most of the show. We'll talk about most of the things that are making headlines related to United, um, and uh, of course, lots of things to talk about so much has gone on since then so much that couldn't still happen between now and the end of the summer in terms of transfers in terms of movement in terms of lots of other things making headlines um, but uh, Martin we'll, we'll talk about potential impact of this coronavirus on United's transfer business this summer I'll talk about what uh, City's Champions League appeal uh, may impact United um, some other things that have happened at the football club that, and how well they've been doing in the media uh, we'll talk about Angel Gomez and other things as well so um, before we uh, get into that um, anything else you want to cover? Well no I'm, I'm interested to hear what you might have to say about that you know obviously all these comments really recently about this this hole in the squad mm-hmm. rather have a hole in the squad than a, than a you know what in the squad you know yeah maybe maybe shed some a little bit of light on that maybe but no it'll be good to talk to neil he's always always been real good to us and uh, he's, he's pretty well informed yes he is and uh once again folks thanks for all the follows and all that over the summer the last couple of months and what's been relatively quiet we just haven't done a show because we didn't really <laughs> have enough to do a show and you I'm sure they just don't want to hear you waffle on about nothing. For, yeah, for yeah, now, well, so it's a bit late for that. <laughs> but, uh, but nah, listen, we just we yeah. yeah we didn't want to sit here and talk about idle speculation and transfers. It just seems so pointless. Whenever we don't even know when a window's going to open, we don't even know when the season's going to resume. But now we're starting to see some concrete things going on. Where there's concrete dates for a Premier League of announced contact training and everything, and it does seem like the Premier League will resume. When you brought up the Bundesliga there, and look. It's their own. I'm not going to be one of these people that tells you you should like it or you shouldn't like it or you know you should accept because this is the best we've got. It's up to each, peop- in the, each and every individual to decide what is acceptable to them. First week I watched Bundesliga, it was hard. I must admit, it was like, after about the first 20 minutes, uh, it's sort of losing its novelty to me and um, started to tune out. I watched it again this week and it was definitely much more watchable and it definitely felt like and he had accepted the things that were almost a shock to my system. Mm-hmm. And then in lieu of Premier League being back in the, the format that we want to see it all back with fans in the stadiums and everything, 
we may just have to accept this is the best we're going to get. And if that's the case, I still think this is better than nothing. Yeah, um, it's it's real difficult for me to watch. But I'll be quite honest yeah. with you. You know, without the fan, it just I can't remove myself from from it feeling like a like a preseason game, like like a game behind closed doors, yeah. not a not a, a, a you know a competitive league game, which is a shame at times because I don't know if you watched uh, the Bayern Munich game, but was it was it Goretzka's second goal? Oh, uh, so yeah. the, the, the second goal, sorry, by yeah. Goreska, yeah, so was an absolutely wonderful well move and an absolutely cracking goal. Mm-hmm. And I think it was that was one of the moments when I went, ah, it's just doing football a disservice because the crowd would have been going absolutely ballistic. We'd have been seeing that goal replayed over and over, you know, on top tens. It was just a cracking move. Lovely, lovely football that deserved the emotion and the atmosphere of a crowd to celebrate it. So it, it's just really, really tough for me to get out of that moment. But I, and this is I don't mean any disrespect at all here so please don't confuse it with that but with the women's game for for, for years people have, have compared you know compared the women's game to the men's game and you know as a coach myself who is just coach women yes it's different, it's different but you've got to take it for what it is look the, the women's game is not going to be as mm-hmm. as physically physically demanding maybe, maybe not the right word but, but, but quickly, the game is going to be different. But you have to take that intent entity for its uh, on its merit. Mm-hmm. And the women's game is a fantastic game. But if, if you compare it to the, the the men's game, it's completely different. It's, oh, you're always going to come up short because of your expectations of it. So I think, and I, and again, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully there because I'm a massive, massive fan mm-hmm. of the women's game. I, but I became a bigger fan of it when I stopped comparing it to something else that it wasn't. I took it as it, sure. on, on its merit, and it became far more enjoyable. <clears throat> Excuse me, far, you, know, uh, you, you realize how much goes into uh, goes into their side of the game, and it, it's, it's an amazing product for it for what it is, its own entity, its own deal. So, I almost think I'm, I'm trying to get my head, wrap my head around this because this is how football is going to be for the foreseeable future. It's going to be behind closed. We're going to hear mm-hmm. we're going to hear every kick of the ball. We're going to hear the coaches. We're going to hear the speaking. You're going to see the the air high fives and, and the apparent no celebrating with each other for goals that, that, that Sancho's getting a bit of a rap for. Obviously, he's apparently being pulled up because he hugged the goal scorer. Um, just uh, how are you going to stop that? Yeah. But you can stand next to each other in a five man wall. Um, I, I don't quite understand, but I, I think. What I'm getting is if we try and take that as its, as its own entity now and try and stop comparing it to what was, if we're going to continue to compare it to what was, it's always going to come up short, right? If we try and yeah. just kind of switch mindsets here to, okay, accept that this is how football is going to be for the foreseeable future and make your own mind up, is this something that I want to get, I can get behind and I want to watch and I want to pour my emotion into from home? And if it's not... You know, you, you might, you may, you may, you know, have to sit and step away from the game for a little while because this is how it's going to be for a while now. Yeah, I think it's unfair to criticise footballers that for hugging a goal scorer, for doing the things. These are all the automaticities that footballers have Correct. from playing the yes. game for twenty odd years. It's very difficult to just adjust to a new norm and be completely conscious, conscious of every body movement, every you know, everything that you do. Uh, and be constantly conscious because you can't play the game and be constantly conscious of not contacting, you know, not doing this, not doing this, not doing this. It's just unrealistic. But um, you know, there's some mitigation that's better than none, so I am okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, look, I, I again, you know, just like you were saying with the women's game, I don't tell anyone whether they like it or dislike it. Uh, clearly, 
there's there they exist in their own right. There's no question. There's obviously a biological, physical difference between men and women. That's that's irrefutable. Uh, that doesn't make it better or worse. It's just a different. You know, there, there's different qualities in each of the games. Women game is fantastic, and and it's you know plenty of people love it for what it is, and and, and it's not fair, like you say, to make comparisons. This is to, this is a game that's in a new normal. There's been a lot of people have died. Let's not forget that. Um, a lot of people still will die, unfortunately. And uh, the, the we have a couple of choices, Martin. Before we go to Neil, um, I'll just make this point. Um, let's say we don't resume football till we get a vaccine. Then we have to accept that there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. Lower league football is going to disappear as we know it. Lots of people are going to lose their livings. Lots of people are going to have to accept that um, football will be com- will look completely different if we wait until next year. It's possible, it's highly possible, that we won't get a vaccine at all. So do we do we suspend football for indefinitely? I mean, at some point, we're going to have to accept that this is a part of our life. Like the WHO says... We're going to have to accept that coronavirus may well be a part of our life going forward and we just have to deal with it. Uh, and at some point, life will have to resume with that risk. I know there's going to be people listening to this that are going to be spitting venom at me and thinking that I'm negating the importance of people's lives. I'm not by any means. But, you know, I'm not telling you how to think. I'm just saying that there's consequences to no matter what we do. And... Um, you know, we're just looking at this it's from not a, just about primarily, yeah, from a football right? standpoint, yes, that's completely. That's what it's about. I mean, that, that, that's it, it's not our job. It's not our job to look at it from from any other angle. We're, mm. we're a football podcast, and so so we're touching on how it Correct. could potentially, potentially affect football as we know it, with, with with absolute no complete disregard to to human life. Um, yes, so, yeah, I, I totally get you. Well, we're not epidemiologists. We're not doctors, so it's possible Don't our commentary that on this. Well, that, that word was far too big for me. <laughs> what was that? We're not epidemiologists, we're not virologists, so it's possible our commentary may not be the best on this. We're just giving a layman's yeah. opinion, so don't hang us draws and quarters just because we may say something wrong. We, there's no question we want this game to resume safely for everybody exactly. um, and, and, and exist in that capacity. So before, uh, well, let, let's transfer over to Neil Costas, who will join us to talk about a lot, of it, a lot of things about Manchester United. Always good to have Neil on the show. Um, here we are, Neil Costas. As promised, folks, a fantastic... Neil Costas. Neil, how you doing, mate? I'm doing very well. It's a boiling hot day in Manchester, which isn't something I can say very often. <laughs> hey, Neil Martin here, mate. Good to Hello. speak to you. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, how's things going with you? How are you dealing with this whole pandemic and lockdown situation? Well, I was saying to someone the other day that, you know, international breaks I always used to find really irritating because I just think the excitement and drama of the Premier League is greater now than ever. Um, and so the, for those two weeks, I always found quite boring. Um, but it's what's it now? Nine weeks without it. And I suppose, um, you know, we obviously are without it during a summer, but every, you know, every other summer we have a Euros or a World Cup, um, which we have interest in to, to the last eight. Um, and a pre-season tour, of course, uh, when I meet up with you guys in yeah. some dark bar in the middle of the day. <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that sort of thing I, I am really missing. Um, I mean, I'm quite fortunate that, you know, um, I, I, I am used to working from home. Um, golf has started again, um, which is great. I love my golf. Uh, so that started again, which is helping to keep me sane. But we all, I think we all miss the football. And 
I think we'll all miss the football until crowds come back, not until the sport just comes back. How is it going yeah, to change how you do your job? job? Sorry, mate, go ahead. Let me talk about that. Go ahead, man. Sorry, mate. Speaking of which, there, I was, I was just saying the excitement of Premier League, you talk about crowds coming back and things like that. How have you found the games in the Bundesliga? Obviously, for us, that, that first week was was extremely strange with, with zero atmosphere, pumping music into the stands and things like that. Seemed it was a little bit more watchable the second week. Maybe that was because we were accustomed to it and kind of knew what to expect. But from your point of view, uh, well, yes, it's football, but is it is it football as we know it? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a great um, quote, I don't know the words, I can't remember the words exactly right now, but from Sir Bobby Robson about taking a, your little son or you know into a football ground for the first time and the size of it the noise of it mm-hmm. the atmosphere there captivates them and it's that which captivates a kid with football it's not the pure act of kicking the ball the tactics the game a shot into the top corner it's it's the reaction it's the reaction of their dad their mum their sister their older brother to football and to what it means to them that's what gets them involved in yeah. the sport then the sport comes along to them, the physical act of the sport comes along to them because they want to replicate the heroes that are cheered on by their friends and family. But it's that atmosphere which grabs you. And you could sit in the new camp and watch the best game you've ever that's ever been played in football and it would, wouldn't seem very good. It wouldn't seem very exciting or entertaining because the, it's just you there. There's no noise. There's nothing. Um, and, uh, you know... This is why the FA Cup, for me, I don't really enjoy anymore because it's a half-full ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody really takes it seriously anymore. I don't enjoy the FA Cup. I, in fact, I always take the third round off in the new year because it's just, you know, we try to build it up, but it's just not there anymore. I think the League Cup has a, I think the League Cup has a better atmosphere, actually, and that's more to do with how many tickets both sides get for a final. But if a ground isn't full, and, it, and it also if you're watching a match on the television and the ground isn't full, subconsciously you're thinking there is there is not a big interest in this game. Right. So if there's not a big interest in this game, why am I interested in this game? A bit like watching Sunderland. Um, <laughs> so, so that, I think, it, it's, it's 90% of it for me. Uh, it's funny you say that. I, I will never forget. When, when I look back on the great moments of my life, one of the th- moments that stands out for me as a child when I f- first set foot inside Old Trafford and um, it was 1981, I was United Arsenal, I walked up the steps and I, I remember distinctly just standing there and having my breath taken away at the size of yeah. United, the, the noise, the, the everything around it was just incredible and, and that as a spectacle totally captivated me. I'd never seen, I mean I grew up in Belfast, I'd never seen anything like this ever and uh, that is definitely a moment I never forget how I felt. Um, how is this pandemic going to change how you like to do your job, Neil? Um, just, just on your first point, uh, I mm-hmm. think it's, uh, one of the things that's good about Twitter, and there aren't very many, um, <laughs> is is I love these scenes when somebody shows like that 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 the young yeah. lad, the young son or daughter, going up those steps um, to. Yep. see Old Trafford for the first time, see whatever ground for the mm-hmm. first time. I mean, I'll give you a couple of personal examples. My, my son has n- little or no interest in football whatsoever. Loves mm-hmm. his music, loves his films. Little or no interest in football, mm-hmm. but loves going to a game. Mm-hmm. So I'll take him to a game, Man United he prefers. I'll take him to a game. Then I'm going up to Newcastle. I'm thinking, I'm born and bred Newcastle fan. Um, 
you haven't been to St. James's Park ever. I'm going up for a game. Come with me. I'll get you a ticket. Got him a ticket in the stand. He absolutely loved it. Yeah. We went out afterwards with a few of the other journalists. We went into Chinatown, had a meal. Newcastle had won with a last-minute goal. The place was buzzing. And he said, I absolutely love this. I love Newcastle. And I said, right, well, they're playing Man United next week. <laughs> I got him a ticket. I got him a ticket in the away end. They lost 4-1. Not mentioned it since. Not mentioned it since. <laughs> but for a short moment, that atmosphere and that last-minute goal made him a member of the Toon Army. Um, mm-hmm. My daughter as well, I remember... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you lads won't revel in it because it's City story. But <laughs> when City played Liverpool um, last season in, in January, it's mm-hmm. one of the best Premier League matches I've ever seen. Yep. Absolutely fantastic, it was. City won two one. I took my I wasn't working that night, but so I took my daughter, who is a City fan, and I just looked at her face during that game, and she was absolutely transfixed by the game, yep. with a smile on her face throughout. And we and we went went to a takeaway afterwards, and then and she just wanted to talk about the game. And it was the atmosphere, the tension, everything had grabbed her. So despite, you know, we all say that football sanitised the money too much on mm-hmm. telly and all that, the essence of it still grabs, yes. still grabs people. Um, so with regards to the second question, how has it changed my job? Well, we've been doing an awful lot of things about what happened 20 years ago, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. five years ago. Um, you know, there's a lot of stories about when's it going to come back and when it does, what's it going to be like? You know, our jobs won't be the same for well, I don't know, February maybe, earliest, mm. in terms of fans being in the ground um, and that's what for me makes it, it's going to be very odd as I say, watching it in a watching it all in an empty ground um, it's just not the same and the shame, the shame from a Man United point of view is that derby just before the lockdown I thought that was the best atmosphere I've experienced yeah. at Old Trafford um, alongside the semi-final against Barcelona in the Champions League in 2008. Uh, for me personally, I thought that atmosphere that day was sensational. And they were on a run, 11 unbeaten, 19 yeah. sheets. And I thought this place is flying again. And and it was a shame it had to stop then. And it's going to take a long time to sort of get back to that position. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry just can I ask a quick follow up, Martin? When, when it, obviously, people ask a lot of players and stuff about their apprehension about going back. Is there apprehension from the media about going back and doing their jobs? What about you? You confident going back into football stadiums and all that? Or is there concern amongst your colleagues? Sorry, Martin. I mean, I, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think the thing with this um, virus is that I don't think you realize how much it can impact you or how serious it is until you know someone who's got it someone who's been impacted by it someone who's sadly died i think that's when it really can hit home to somebody and you know touch wood i've not been in that situation you know it's obviously going on around me my wife works in communications for the nhs so i hear a lot of stories and you know it is all tragic but i think unless it has directly impacted you i think you feel about it in a different way you sort of look. I think some people still look at it as it's 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 a problem that's out there, but hasn't touched me yet. Um, I mean, sitting in Old Trafford, you know, we we will be sat. I, I think what's going to happen when games start again is you'll be allowed one representative from each paper, um, and and then from the um, uh, the broadcasters who pay for the rights, and the press box is big enough for everyone to you know space out enough. There won't be any pre-match press conference, post-match press conference, mixed zone. 
um, and and then the press room will be asked to keep a distance. You know, we'll just be asked to be sensible, and and we can be. Um, so, from my point of view, you know, I'm 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 more likely to come across. I'm, I'm more likely to come across people walking my dogs down the Mersey than I am in that situation. Um, so, I. I I don't have concerns about it in that, you know, you're outdoors in a big stadium, there's hardly anyone going to be there, you know, and we just have to be sensible in the same way you have to be sensible walking into a shop. So um, there's not any apprehension on that. I mean, the apprehension is going to come, um, you know, when it's big crowds again, and, and it's going to be interesting how do people celebrate the fact and literally embrace it, or are they going to be wary? And, you know, or, or is it going to actually take a while to fill a ground again, even when it's allowed? Yeah, it's funny, it's funny you say that. I, mean, I was looking, there was another couple of positive tests, wasn't it, on the latest round of testing amongst the players. I, the, the the confusion for me, and I, I guess looking into the unknown, <clears throat> excuse me, is how many tests is it going to take before they, they scale back again? Obviously, we saw the, the Women's Super League and Championship, the you know, organisers of, of those leagues just ended their end mm. of the season. Essentially, uh, to, to, I think they're saying to properly to be, be able to prepare for next season. I just, I just wonder how many, how many positive tests is it going to take, or, or, or you know, it, is it not? Are they not going to be concerned with I mean, the number of positive tests as long as this, as long as they continue the testing before yeah. any, you know, if there's any ideas of hey, you know, maybe this has gone on too far and, and we just close the gates. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It, would you mean amongst the players or amongst fans? Yeah, well, amongst players, essentially, you know, to, to begin with, anyway. I mean, the, know, the, how, the, how many the more tests? Tests, Yeah, the positive tests amongst the players have been incredibly small. I mean, I think amongst all the Premier League players and staff, I think there were six, and of those, three were players. And, you know, the, you know, the young fit guys who didn't even know they had it, which is possibly more of a danger in many ways. But, you know, that is the, I was actually shocked at how small the percentage was of players and staff who, who, who did actually have it. So that is a good point. You know, I think they can move on from that point. Um, uh, to, to you know to start again from behind closed doors because it is it is a very low it is a very low um, percentage you know you're talking about I don't know one percent almost of, of players and, and staff so um, so from that point of view that, that I don't see a bar to them starting again behind closed doors I don't know what the system's going to be like for you know do, will I have to be tempted on the way in you know one of those ray guns that they seem to fire into people's foreheads will they will they be there um, probably should be um so i think you know maybe everyone who enters the ground will have to be tested in some way um, but i think from the player's point of view that is i think it i think it will be okay to start again um until of course one player who's played in a game goes down because you know you remember before the shutdown um arsenal were about to play was it olympiacos or had just played olympiacos was it and uh, and, and, and the club chairman or owner was found to have had it. So their next game was postponed, and that's when it all sort of started. And then Arteta seems to have had it. He'd obviously met him. Um, so as soon as something like that happens, then there's going to be, a, oh, you know, is there then going to be a knock-on effect? It, it, it is going to be finally balanced. Yeah, obviously Liverpool getting a little bit of grief as well, and, and, and Atletico Madrid for that tie, having fans travel. Well, I mean that was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean yeah. the, the, that that game and the um, Atalanta game, you know, when they all travelled from Bergamo down to down to Milan, uh, ridiculous. 
that Liverpool game to go ahead. I mean, there's Jurgen Klopp, you know, swearing at fans, little fat fans for putting their hands out to get a high five. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. indication those fans have been given is it's going to be safe to be in here. Right. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. And then to be sat there, and uh, I know it's a big day for the Irish, Cheltenham, but, yeah. you know, I mean... Ridiculous. Never I went sat watching that thinking, this is, this is just odd. How yeah. on earth are they allowed so stupid. this to happen? And, and, and the, the, the hospital that's nearest Cheltenham has had the most cases yeah. per sort of capita, square metre, whatever, mm-hmm. um, of anywhere around. And, of course, there, there has been a knock-on effect in Liverpool as well. Yeah. Um, from, from that game. So absolutely ridiculous to, yep. to have allowed those to go ahead. Mm, agreed. Well, I want to, t- I want to turn this, turn this uh, to, to United now um, and what's becoming a little bit of an infamous quote now from Ollie with this, you know, I'd rather have a, a hole in the squad than a, than a than yeah. you know. What, what, what do you make about that? Where do, where do you think that was aimed and uh, anyone in particular or just a just kind of a throwaway statement or there's got to be meaning behind that? I mean, I, you know, I think not consciously but subconsciously you know, he's thinking of Sanchez and Lukaku, um, who, that's how I, certainly how I interpret it, and I can't say how it can be interpreted any otherwise, um, who he just wanted out. No matter, you know, the goals Lukaku, you were losing. Um, Sanchez, you weren't losing anything. Um, but he wanted them out because he saw, as well, he referred to in that interview uh, with uh, United We Stand as personal agenda. Um, they were thinking about themselves, but, but, but Sanchez was thinking about himself from day one. You know, I mean, what's going to happen? I don't know because they Milan don't want to keep him. United don't want him back, so it's a dreadful situation they're in um, with regards to him. But he, he is referring to that, and now I I would think that another problem they have is Pogba, who I don't believe should play for them again, and. I don't see why Paul Pogba should take the place of Nemanja Matic, uh, Scott McTominay, um, um, obviously certainly not Bruno Fernandes, that there's not a player in the team who I think Pogba should take the place of. Um, if I was picking my best 11 tomorrow, he wouldn't be in it from that whole squad. He just would not be in it for what he's produced for that club. But also there is a, there is a Pogba agenda in the background that... Sir Alex Ferguson certainly wouldn't allow it to happen because when it started to happen with Beckham, he went. Mm-hmm. So there's that agenda in the background that and, and Solskjaer's trying to run the team in the same spirit as Sir Alex did and he wants to edit that and I am convinced Pogba won't play another game for the club. I also felt that that comment from Solskjaer was also directed at United's recruitment team in the sense that they are partly responsible for what happened with Alexis Sanchez and are partly responsible for what happened with Pogba in creating an environment where the only reason you come to United is because of the wages. That was what they were selling above Man City. That's what they were selling ab- ab- above other football clubs. And Solskjaer is rightfully saying, look, the first thing we have to prioritise is that players actually want to play here. And I also felt yeah. that was a message to United's recruitment team and that we need to be a lot more selective about who we bring in and looking at personalities because before United would send a player under Ferguson, they, they really intensely looked at a person's character and personality as much as you could and made sure mm. it was compatible with what they were doing. Um, is that, is that, would you yeah. also see no, that as, as a shot at, at Woodward and Matt Judge? I don't, I don't think it's a shot at them because, you know... <laughs> If, if, if you have a coach of the um, status of Louis van Gaal or of the status of Jose Mourinho, if they come to you and say, I want this player, 
who is anybody at Manchester United sure. to suggest they know better right. than Van Gaal, mm-hmm. although they know better than Mourinho. And if you're putting them in a position in a position to be the manager of that club, how you know you, you can't suddenly say nah, sorry, I think you got it wrong, Louis. Look, I, you know, I think you, you know, I know you think Schweinsteiger can still do it. We don't. They re- they put them in that position to rely on their mm-hmm. judgment, unless you're one of these clubs which which states from the outset is that we'll buy the players and you will then coach them. And that is not the case in England. That just doesn't happen. It's the manager's choice. So it's down to the manager in the end. The difference with Solskjaer is that Solskjaer has come in and sold a different vision, which they've all bought into, uh, which I think is right for Manchester United and will bear fruit. So in the same way that they backed Mourinho and Van Gaal, and let's not forget Van Gaal won the FA Cup, let's not forget Mourinho won two trophies in his first season and finished second in the league in his second season. That, for me, was not a poor tenure for Manchester United or a poor tenure for manager in charge. That was successful for me. So they have done that. It's cost an awful lot of money, yes. But I think the way Solskjaer is going about it is the, is the right way for Manchester well, United. And, and the, the recruitment under Solskjaer has been absolutely spot on. The recruitment has been spot on under Solskjaer. But, Neil, if you go back... Um, Mourinho complained that he wasn't backed, that United were eventually stopping in and saying, no, you can't have that player. This was, of course, when uh, they tried to send for Tongan from Spurs. Um, United allegedly said they were being in for him, been in for him, and then Daniel Levy came out the end of the window and said, we never received the bid. Mourinho was on the impression that they were pursuing him. And if he turned around himself and said, listen, just call me the coach. I have nothing to do with the players that are coming in. Which yeah, to me well, was, I mean, but Pochettino also said the same at Spurs, that he just call me the coach. I, I, don't, I have nothing to do with who comes in. So I, I, I don't think Frank Lampard has complete say at Chelsea over who's coming in. So maybe this I is a new I mean, model. I, I think it's tougher for someone like Lampard, who's a, you know, a sort of new young manager who is, um, um, you know, having to sort of bend to the rules a little bit. And there is a financial thing there now as well, um, which has sort of changed the landscape uh, at Chelsea. I, I think I think it was poor of both Pochettino and, in the end, Mourinho. And I was one of Mourinho's biggest supporters in the way they behaved and, and what they said. I mean, the, the amount of money that Mourinho was allowed to spend was huge. You know, I don't know, what was it, 300 million or something like that. He was allowed to spend a huge amount of money and when he tried to get Harry Maguire, um, and they were asking 18 million, all right, they ended up spending it. But they looked at it and thought, but, we've, but you bought Lindelof, but you bought Bailly, but we've got Jones, we've got Smalling, we've got how many centre-halves do we need here? They actually, they had, there did come a point where they had to say, well, no, we're not buying another centre-half because we, you know, we, we could put a team of centre-halves out at the minute. So in that sense, they were, they, they sort of like, reined it back a bit. They just they thought it was unnecessary given that given the players they had. And I, I can sort of agree with them because we have seen since that Lind- Lindelof is a decent player. Smalling has proved to be a great player in it, albeit yeah, in Italy. Yeah. Um, uh, and Phil Jones is Phil Jones. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, they, they have got, they did have enough centre-half. So Mourinho was back, so I have no doubt about that. But when things start to go wrong, and the genius of somebody is questioned. That's when they, you know, uh, they start to move the um, they start to move the attention elsewhere and the blame elsewhere. A, b- a bit like Sir Alex Ferguson did with Juan Veron. 
you know. Yep. He, he blamed the media for it, you know, uh, and, and claimed it was because he was Argentinian and we're all against him. I mean, for goodness sake. Uh, the fact was he needed <laughs> he needed an extra second on the ball, which he got in Italy, which he didn't get in England, and he couldn't cope with it. That was it. End of. Let me ask you about a couple of, uh, quote, youngsters at United uh, that, that are in the news now. Obviously, Angel Gomez and that contract yeah. situation. Um uh, what 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 if anything is the latest on that and, and the other one is is young Hannibal Mesbury who um, have you seen much of him obviously no. being over here now on the west coast where we, we we're limited to to clips but obviously highly highly regarded and reports that all he plans to use him he's already been training with the first team um, maybe maybe that says a little bit about Angel Gomez that that he seems to have kind of jumped over him now in in all his plans. So, Angel Gomez, contract situation, we'll start there. What's uh, what's the latest you earned? Well, I mean, there's a great saying of um, Sir Alex Ferguson in which he said it. At Man, it was actually used quoted to Matt Busby who said that at Man United, um, the money will find you. You don't have to go searching for the money. The money will find you. And much in the way Paul Scholes, you know, um, uh, mapped out his own career at Man United. He knew that if Paul Scholes could play like Paul Scholes and stay at Man United, he would end up a rich man. He didn't need all the hassle that went with it of bartering or contract negotiations going on forever and all that. He just said, where do I sign? And for him, you know, five million quid a season was, was, was if you're buying a decent house up in Oldham, is probably enough. And he just got on with it, you know. Um, now, this guy, um, Gomez, has played 10 games I think it is for Man United and he's already the story of a contract wrangle I mean please just let him go you know they they this is not the sort of young player Manchester United want under what Solskjaer's trying to do they want someone who wants to play for Manchester United and become a big name they don't want to be in, in a situation where they have a player who's played 10 games who's living in a 12-bedroom mansion in Hale. They want someone who, and this is the problem they've had in recent years, they want someone with that hunger that they had under Sir Alex, where the money didn't, not, it did sometimes, you know, but didn't always, didn't always matter. It was just the fact that it was successful Man United and the money would come with it. So I think the best signal they could send out to any young player who wants to play for Manchester United it's by saying to Gomez, well, just go, you know, just see what you can do elsewhere. I mean, he's not, I mean, you know, we're not talking a new Wayne Rooney coming through here, are we? You know, just just see, see how you do elsewhere, right? You know, see, you, you've had your chance at the biggest club in the world, but you, you don't feel you're not being paid enough money. Try somewhere else. I mean, that's how I would see it. it look, maybe playing devil's advocate, maybe it's not the money. Maybe he's saying, look, it's not the 30 grand a week allegedly that you needed to offer him. Maybe the kid deserves credit for saying, and I'm again just playing devil's advocate here, for saying, do you know what? I could stay United for 30 grand. I'd rather leave and go somewhere where I've got a better chance of playing first team football. Um, Chelsea are not the Chelsea that we saw two years ago where they're buying a bunch of players, they're giving young players a chance. Maybe it's a good move for him. I, I agree that, look, he's 19. This is a team where if you can't get into United over the last two years where they've been giving all the young players a chance, maybe there's a reason for that. Um, and, and when you look at someone like Mabry, who's only 17, already getting the train with the first team, you look at a lot of other young players that will be given chances. And Gomez played in a position where United badly needed quality. He's probably not ready for for a team like United. But maybe in his position, it's not the money. Maybe it's a, it's an opportunity to play first-team football. 
Well, absolutely. And we've, and we've seen what Jaden Sancho has done, haven't we? By doing exactly the same with um, yep. with City. You know, he, he left. And, and in Daniel Sturridge, you know, when he went to when he went to Liverpool. Um, well, he went to Chelsea, then Liverpool, didn't he? Am I getting this right? Am I getting this um, chronology right? He was at City, and then he went to Chelsea, and then up to Liverpool. I'm free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so you know, we're seeing we're seeing that the Sancho Sancho's the, the the best example. You know, he's suddenly now from not from struggling to get in the City team, he is now a player worth over 100 million and regarded as one of the greatest players in the Bundesliga. So he's made that right decision. Is if this is if that is the reason, then fine, then fine. If that's the reason, I still think you could be knocking on the door for another year and seeing what happens, but. After ten games, you see, Pogba's was for the money. Pogba didn't go to Juventus because uh, he wanted to leave Man United. Pogba had a chance to double his money, and he and he wanted to, you know, look after, look after the family um, with more money, as as it was explained to me at the time. You know, he didn't really want to leave United and go to Juventus, but the money was big, and that was important to him at the time. And he went to Juventus and approved a great move, you know, for Scudettos, and you know, he had the license to roam all over the park. And, and did brilliantly there. Um, so if it is if it is to play more first team football, then fine. I mean that in many ways is admirable, but it just doesn't look good when it when that doesn't appear to be the narrative. The narrative appears to be uh, a wrangle over a contract and whether it's good enough or not. You mentioned you mentioned Jaden Sancho there. Obviously, great time to speak about Jaden Sancho. What, what if any? I mean, there's clearly going to be repercussions with, with what's going on in the world there on the transfer market. Yeah. How much is that going to affect? Obviously, by all accounts, Dortmund don't need to sell, but mm. they got to be looking at it at some some point here and saying, well, maybe this is the time that we're going to get the most money for him. Um, how big of a how big of an impact you think this is going to have on the transfer market in general? Well, I mean, Dortmund always say they don't need to sell and end up selling, and normally to Bayern Munich, so that they have less of a chance of winning the title next season. Um, I they have to be they have to be sensible you know they have to be sensible and realise that a player that might have been worth 150 million before this lockdown you're only going to go ahead of 100 million now even Manchester United you saw how much the debt's gone up right um, you saw how much the revenue's gone down um, how much they're going to have to repay to broadcasters and stuff like this so you know and you know, even even a club like Manchester City, um, for all the money they've got, because of the wages they pay out, you know, they they, they won the title for the second year running, and, and they only made a profit of eleven million quid. So it's not like this money is always washing around, and less so now because, um, you know, be, because they've been hit financially, and in the end they're going to say, well, we're not paying a ridiculous amount. And and to be fair to Woodward, he's he's laid it out straight on that twice now. And United did say to us, you know, when he came out with these quotes about, you know, that the, the landscape has changed, they did say to us, look, please, he is not trying to say this to make it look like we don't want to buy anyone or to make it look, to give them an out not to spend or anything like that. It is genuinely right and it's right for all football clubs. And if a club like Man United, which generates so much money as it does through, you know, um, every pot noodle vendor in the world... Um, you know, are going to be struggling, and everyone's going to be struggling. So people are just. There's, I think there's going to be a period of readjustment where, you know, they're just going to have to accept that clubs are going to say no. That's too much. You know, and you're looking at Barcelona. You know, and who's 
who's not in trouble at the minute now? You know, you're mm. looking at Barcelona, who, who who look like they're having to sell now. They're in such financial trouble. Um, Real don't don't appear to be as much. Obviously, Bayern are always going to be um, a sturdy model. Um, but worldwide, who are the ones that are going to be paying in the hundreds of millions anymore? You know, you could probably name about three. Um, and United are one of them, but even they are saying, forget about it. Forget about these enormous record-breaking transfer records because they're not going to happen. Or you know, it's, it's a bit like the economy, isn't it? The economy is not going to be the right again in this country um, for probably another two years, three, two years minimum, three years. Um, I know where you are. Donald Trump has built the greatest economy in living history, but even that one's <laughs> going to be even that one's going to be hit. Um, so, you know, if the, the football clubs will be able to spend big again when the economy recovers, one, one they'll, they'll go hand in hand. Let me ask you, uh, City's Champions League appeal coming up, how much of an impact do you think that will have on how Manchester United by this summer? On on whether they get in the Champions League. Yeah, or not. let's say they don't. Let's yeah. say United you know, get that place, or they don't. It's a, w- w- yeah. either or situation. How does that affect them? <clears throat> I think I think it'll have a bigger impact now because of the coronavirus lockdown than it would have had because the financial hit. The financial hit of not being in the Champions League is always big, but it's one United could take. But to take that on top of, you know, losing. What because you know, if 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 Old Trafford, I mean, what is in the match day revenue? I can't remember, you know, it's three four million quid or something like that. You know, it's a huge match day revenue in terms of the turnover, it's almost 20 percent, so it's big, yeah. So, so it's going to have a bigger effect, um, I would say this time than in the past because in the past, as I say, they've been able to take a hit, mm. you know, because I mean, how many of these companies, how many of these sponsors, because it is it is something of a luxury, um, I think for some sponsors to be connected with Manchester United rather than something that's really going to I mean have, have how many more cars have Chevrolet really sold on the back of Man United mm. I mean you know or, or these tag her these these watch companies that are already hugely established it's just a sort of a it, it, it's sort of like a status symbol as much as anything that's going to actually make them any more money and those things are going to go by the wayside um, because they're going to say, do, you know, no one bought a watch for a while. Do we really need this status symbol? Because we haven't actually got a lot of as much money anymore. Mm. Um, you know, you saw, you see, Jaguar, a car firm like Jaguar, is, is being looked to be bought out because they're in desperate trouble yeah. and they're desperate to be bought out. So all these luxury goods firms and all that, they're going to be hit as well. So the sponsorship, much like advertising in the media, is going to be hit hugely as well. Last question, and Neil, thanks very much for taking the time that you want us, mate. Um, one of the things that's been noticeable at Manchester United over the last few months has been it seems they've they've gone they've done an amazing job in the press and the media and getting positive press mm-hmm. rather than going from one calamity to the next. Obviously, one of your colleagues went to go and work directly with a football club in January. What has been the change at Manchester United where they've gotten everything right in the media rather than everything wrong? I think. Um, I think. Charlie Brooks, who came over yeah, from guy. Nike, um, I think he's been the major influence in it, you know, because yeah. he comes from a, a PR background with the biggest brand, you know, in sport, um, from that, you know, incredible complex in Portland, mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the Americans, American sport does 
PR rights. It does media rights. It looks after the media. Um, it, 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 you know, media officers, press officers, whatever, feel like they're there to help, whereas too often in this country they feel like they're there to stop you mm-hmm. from actually doing your job rather than assisting you in doing your job. And America gets an awful lot right with PR and, well, outside of the White House, they get an awful <laughs> lot right with, yeah. with the PR and media um, in sport, which is why which is why there's such a great relationship between, you know, sports stars and the media and why, you know, media get into the locker rooms and stuff like that. And uh, it's, why, it's why so many American journalists are absolutely bemused when after a Man United game, like 90% of the players walk past the media by totally ignoring them. Um, <laughs> like, well, what, is this normal? Um, it is for us. Um, so they get it, you know, they get it right. And Charlie, you know, Charlie Brooks comes from that background. So I think he's been a huge influence in it. I also think for all the criticism that Edward would get, I do think he is um, a genuine guy yes. in terms of wanting the very best for Manchester United. Um, and also the community, you know, he, he likes to, he, he likes to talk to fans, you know. He likes to talk to the media. He he, he gets very frustrated about the, the sort of image he gets when he is. He is that there's more there's more communication with Manchester United fans now than there ever was. I completely agree with that. I completely you know, agree with that. Uh, must must uh, you know, the Man United supporters trust um, and other elements of the fans? They they have they have uh, open calls with Ed. Uh, every so often, you know, these fans' forums, um, they have, you know, if, if there's problems with away trips and stuff like this and ticketing, there's there's communication there. Uh, there was the recent trip to Austria where they refunded all the fans mm-hmm. immediately to the tune of 350 quid. Um, and during this lockdown, as you say, they have they have done so many things. Yeah. Um, they've done so many things right. And, and I think... They've got to continue this, you know, because I, I think for too long, Man United became, it's all right when you're winning trophies. When you're winning mm-hmm. trophies, nobody cares. Nobody cares about PR, the media and all this sort of thing because they just, oh, we're the champions and put your T-shirt on and everything like that. But when you're not, other things become more stark. And I think Man United had started to be removed from the community and mm-hmm. there was a gap there. And I think during this lockdown, they very much reconnected quite publicly with the community they've done a lot of good it's been very high profile as well mm. and, and i don't mind that. i mean good on them you know i think people should know when people are doing good deeds and they've done an awful lot of good um and i just hope that this continues just in little ways you know like you know players actually signing autographs afterwards even if it takes like half an hour um you know you know, you know like the, the, the mm-hmm. biggest star in hollywood for, for for 20 years has probably been tom cruise every film premiere he does starts an hour and a half late because he will not leave anybody wanting an autograph yeah. you know and that's why everybody loves him because he, he has he just wants to do that and I, I just think that connection with people which man united are starting to do again where people like harry Maguire have become real to people um and um you know jesse lingard gets yeah. you know get a bit thick and all that but they have become real to people again and I think that connection with the community and needs to, with the local community, needs to grow because I think since it's become this absolute giant over the last twenty years, 
commercially. I think people in Manchester in the, in England may be seen it as, you know, they're part of a global club rather than it's still, although a lot of people from other clubs like to say it's not, it is still a club that draws a, a huge amount of support from the northwest and the Manchester area particularly. And I think sometimes they feel that they've become a little disenfranchised by it. But what they've done over this last few weeks, I think, is, has, has been a big step in changing that perception. I'm so glad you've mentioned those two things because Charlie Brooks may say, Charlie Brooks is an absolute gentleman, a class act, and someone I've had the pleasure of speaking to many, many times, always available mm. for me, uh, to, and, and his heart's in the right place, wants to do all the right things. Uh, and, and the same way Ed, look, I've had the pleasure of meeting Ed a number of times, and Ed Woodward has been far more available to me and to other other people doing what I do than David Gill ever was. Uh, oh, and he, yeah, absolutely. Uh, David Gill almost treated pe- people like myself with contempt. Um, and, uh, didn't what, almost, he did. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so um, what, what, what Ed Woodward has tried to do is try to build a relationship with the fans so that there is communication with the football club. He doesn't get everything right, no one does. But as a human being, he's actually an extremely nice guy and he's an extremely nice mm. human being to spend time with. And... Uh, you know, yes, he's been criticised heavily for some of the things that he's done, but he's still a human being. People go too far sometimes. And, uh, I think mm-hmm. as a human being, I, I, I really, really like it. He's actually quite a nice man. And Charlie Brooks has done a brilliant job since he's come in. So, um, I, I like you need, look, Manchester United means so much more than just a football club. They mean so much more to people. And you've seen this during the lockdown. It's so important. They are involved in the community. And I think that is one of the things that separates big English football clubs or football clubs in general from American teams is that they are immersed in their community. They can't just pick up and go somewhere else. And uh, I think it's great to see them give back to the community because something they were doing, uh, they were calling season ticket holders, uh, making sure they were okay mm. during this lockdown. And I know people criticise them because they put it on camera, but if that's the motivation to do a good deed, I don't care because I'd still rather see them do good than do bad. So what if it's on social media? They're still doing it. I'd rather they did that than do something negative and hide it. So good for them. And, and I'm I glad to they, see it I happen. think they've. I think they, they and um, City have, you know, used the legends from the past well. Yeah. Um, in that sense, I mean, United have obviously got, you know, the City legends. You, you have to go back to the seventies or, or wait for Sergio Aguero to retire. There wasn't an awful <laughs> lot in between, unless you sang "Feed the Goat and He Will Score," um, or you like Paul Dickov. A positive man, I have to say. Yeah. But Man United have all, you know, through the 70s, you know, people like Lou Macari, Alex Stepney uh, in the 60s, obviously, um, they're, they're always around. They're always around the club. Brian Robson's always around the club. Dennis Irwin, uh, Dwight York now lives in uh, Dubai, but he, you know, um, uh, you know, connects with a lot of fans in the mm-hmm. Far East on trips on Man United's behalf. And they've always had, they've, they've utilised these legends well um, to have a connection with fans around the world so while their first team obviously can't get to everyone on this massive fan base you know big names like uh you know york cole and say going back to you know stephanie and um, lou and, and that can can still have that connection and, and city started doing it with um you know making mike somebody feel so important to the club um and tony book they've done that They've done that very well, and I think a lot of clubs are trying to do that. My own club, Newcastle, I'm mm. not quite sure who they can call on. They, they, they can call on a few from the sort of mid '90s, and before that was the 1969 Fairs Cup uh, team. So, um, still Monk, a great uh, football club, though. 
Eh? Newcastle is still a great iconic football club, though. I mean, well, it, it, it is, it, and, and and as I say, it was that it was that atmosphere that day that my my son absolutely loved it. He said it's the most engaged he's ever been in a match, just because of the atmosphere. And a lot of Newcastle fans will tell you that was half the atmosphere. It can be. Um, so let's see what happens, um, you know, with this takeover and where it uh, where it can take them. Um, uh, you, you, but, you, you mentioned le- legends there, and you know, talk about players in the community and things like that. I don't think we can let it go by and uh, and let this little podcast, this little interview uh, and a little discussion go by without mentioning what Marcus Rashford has done oh, uh, for such well, a for, for, for a young you know a, a young kid like that. And, and yes, we, we find out about it on social media and things like that. But he's certainly not one shouting from the hilltops about the stuff he's been doing. Um, no. I think he deserves absolutely massive, massive credit. And uh, what what a what a great uh, young man he is. Well, it's, it's interesting that he is. Um, he surrounded himself not with like a super agent or anything like that, but it's his. I think it's his two brothers who sort of run his uh, off-field operations. In that sense, I think it's very much a family thing, um, rather than you know having a, a super agent and stuff like that. And and I wonder whether that has helped um, that he's you know, very much stayed a, a local lad and, mm-hmm. and done these things. Um, and he's come out of it uh, extremely well. I mean, he's, I mean, besides the fact that he is, and I think Solskjaer's had a lot to do with this, he is starting to look like a real 25, 30 goal yep. player again. Um, he has come across, ex- ex- I mean, I wish we'd get to, to speak to him a bit more, um, but he has, he has come across extremely well and, over the past year, there's an incredible um, desire and determination within him to 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 get it right and um, and to do everything right. And, and credit to the people around him, his family around him, because uh, I think they've helped um, guide him along this road. Completely agree. Brilliant. Chairman Martin, Marcus Rice, for what credit the football club and his family and himself. Uh, Neil, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for all your time. I didn't okay. need to take up so much of it, but thank you so much for doing no, it. No, that's fine. All the best, man. I'll tell you what I'll tell you yep. what you find now in coronavirus, when you get to speak to somebody from outside your house, you know you don't want to let them go. <laughs> <laughs> well you don't because you don't. so I'm meeting, I'm meeting people in the street here in South Manchester where I live in Didsbury and um Normally, I would say, well, how, how are you doing? I'll see you in the pub on Friday. Right. I haven't seen them for about three weeks. So we yes. stand in the middle outside Greg's for 20 minutes, like right. talking nonstop because like you just don't talk to anybody about uh, anymore because you, don't, you can't go to the pub it's, and meet your mates. I completely but, uh, agree. I'm not complaining. It's great to have you on. It's great to have your time. And All right. Glad, glad you're safe, Neil. All the best, mate. Take care. Pleasure, Neil. See you, bye. That was a brilliant Neil Costas. Lots of stuff he covered there, Martin. Lots of really, really interesting commentary mm-hmm. uh, about transfers, about Inter Gomez, but obviously the brilliant work that United have been doing recently and, and rightfully singling out some people who have done a fantastic job in making sure Manchester United reconnect with the community. Um, lots of interesting stuff there. Just to, just to finish up on the Inter Gomez thing, uh, yeah. the, the Look, I know there's lots of varied opinions on him. I always want to see our young players come through and excel and do well. No one wants to see a young prospect come through at Manchester and not make it. But the truth no, is... We're desperate for it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what we're built on, right? We, that, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the next one. Yeah, so. but the truth is... And and there was Grant Walters, a podcast, Martin, and there was a comment, a comment on it that um, people are forever making this mistake. It was with Claudio Reyna's kid. He's 17, breaking into the Bruce Dortmund team. 
never seen if you're a 17 playing for Bruce Dortmund, you're already a top player. You're not. You're a top oh, prospect. Yeah. And the distance between a top prospect and a top player and the things that can happen in between are late years. And there's millions upon millions of examples. Kiko Mikado was in Manchester United's first team at 17. Where is he well, now? Uh, Adnan Yanazai. Yeah, yeah, lots, it, of, it, lots it, of prospects it, like this. It's a cracking example of that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you've heard many a player there and coach say that he's one of the biggest disappointments in recent time. He's Adnan Yanazai, but you know, sometimes it doesn't make you a bad. It doesn't necessarily make you a bad player. Mm-hmm. The time, the situation, the place, the club is just not right at that particular moment. Yanazai will go on, and and you know, he's forced himself a decent, a decent career. Will make a lot of money out of the game should have done a lot better at Manchester United you know he surely would be kicking himself that he didn't make things work and you know there's me like you said Kiko Makeda um, just because you break in there there's absolutely no guarantees in football it's, it's often it's the easy part is getting there right the hardest mm-hmm. part is, is staying put and, and, uh, and fending people off who are trying to get your jersey and you know and knock you out of the first team so you know, it's a, it, it's it's a delicate game. Um, it's, there's no guarantees just breaking into a team. And, you know, with Angel Gomez, what does it take? What do you say? Ten, ten appearances? That's what he's got? Um, it might be might might just be time for, for, for Angel to go and get some uh, some new surroundings. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're talking about transfers more. And you mentioned it there on the show, which is really exciting. Young Hannibal Mabry making really, really exciting progress in United's youth team. Mm-hmm. Coming up through... Um, allegedly could be part of the first team next season. This is one of the things I love that Slowskirt brought to United again is there's there is a direct route for young talented players Correct. from the youth team. If you excel at your at youth level, you will get into that first team. We've always wanted to see that. That is Manchester United. That is exactly who they are. And that hasn't always been there over the last few years where United have been trying to get success immediately by hiring the likes of Van Hal and Mourinho. <clears throat> but now they're saying, OK, let's do this surgically. Let's be a bit more patient, accept it. There's lots of steps in between finishing fifth and winning the league. And if you take these steps properly, you build on a foundation where you don't yo-yo from first, from second to fifth. You don't yo-yo because you, you are, you're building on solid foundations. This is very, very exciting. Um before we go, Matt, uh, don't forget, folks, btpmedia.net, our website, is currently accessible. <clears throat> it will be completely up and running here, hopefully in the next week. We're really, really pleased at that. As we, um, we're we going to upload a podcast today, as myself and Martin done an interview on Friday with a guy called Anthony Gonzalez, who is the trainer of Tony Ferguson, uh, of course, the magnificent MMA fighter. Tony is also going to be giving us, or Anthony's also going to be giving us videos every day for five days a week where he's going to be uploading, this is important for our mental health side, he's going to be giving us videos every day where there's going to be workout tips for you, for your kids, nutrition tips for you and your kids, vital part of mental health. Absolutely delighted to have Anthony on board with BTP and hopefully you as listeners appreciate getting advice from one of the top MMA coaches in the world. So great to have Anthony on board. He's also a great friend of yours, Martin. I'm a United fan. Massive, massive friend of mine. Yeah, one of the first people I met when I came to the country. Played college soccer with him 20 years ago. Absolute gentleman too. Lovely, lovely human yeah, being. Very, very, very good man. Uh, a great friend of mine. So it's just, like you said, it's a pleasure and uh, to, to have him on board with us and, and bring something a little bit different for the different for the listeners and, and broaden our audience a little bit. Where it's important to know that it's not just Manchester United. Manchester United is yes, that's the heartbeat of, of you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
we're much more than just just a Manchester United podcast. So there's lots of lots of exciting things to come. Lots of little games uh, between uh, between you and I. Yeah. I've, I've, I've yet to upload my. Obviously, we've seen our esteemed colleague Callum at CFB. There, he's yes. uh, he did his one to watch. Phil did his Kai his Kai Havertz one to watch. I'll be bringing mine to you in the in the coming days here, and we'll do some little competitions w- within ourselves yes. to keep things lighthearted and uh, and you know to 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 be there to be to, there to be mocked. <laughs> uh, and shut that so we'll, we'll have a little bit of fun with it but a lot, lot of exciting things to come uh, uh, and a lot broader uh, content for everybody yeah Sin is Martin quite really said we're not just a Man United podcast but Sal and Martin as well we'll be doing lots of other stuff outside Manchester United so we'll not just be a Manchester United podcast we, BGP always was a much broader brush than that um, coming up later today, I'll be doing a global football show where we'll have Kieran Maguire on from Football Finance where we're really going to de- de- delve deep into the Glazer numbers and what they mean for United going forward. Um, and it's absolutely eye-watering charges so far, finance charges United have had to pay for the privilege of being owned by these people. Um, and so uh, we'll talk about that and other things uh, that are relevant within football, football finance. So hope you enjoy that. And uh, looking forward to doing so much more with Martin here as well. Uh, so much yeah, more, and, and, and we're you know, really excited about that. Feel feel free feel free to you know to drop us a line, drop us a message with you know with anything you'd like to see. Yeah, anything you know anything you'd like us to touch on, and you know it could be funny, it could be more, more serious nature, it could be lighthearted. But you know we, we want to make sure that we're accessible to you guys, the listeners, uh, and you know this 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 podcast and this this platform is is for you guys as much as it is for us so we want we want you know we want each and every one of you to to feel a part of it yeah we'll hopefully have some big united guests on too we're working on that we're almost over the line with two of them which i'm really excited about one at the moment uh works for matches now this high profile on uh i can't announce it yet because it hasn't been finalized but we're almost there and another one is a big matches united legend who i've always wanted to interview personally um, spoke to his wife yesterday so hopefully get an answer back on that this week um, we're working to bring you lots of other stuff um, so yeah if Mick Martin says drop us a line uh, and let us know if there's anything you want us to cover we'll be doing also uh, Raphael Hanekstein will be coming on uh, I haven't got a date finalised on that and we might have today actually uh, having um, Callum sorting that out um, we'll talk about Jaden Sancho, Corinthian Taliso, we'll talk about um, Timo Werner and lots of other things going on in the Bundesliga. So lots of stuff coming up. Thank you all so much for all the lovely comments on, on social media. Uh, give my friend here a colleague, at M, my colleague here a follow at mwallwork7. And don't forget, look out for his periscopes where he's going to rip the bollocks out of me. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> so Stay safe, everybody. Cheers, folks. See ya. Bye.